You're listening to the Secrets of Successful Business podcast, your go-to source for business tips, tricks, and proven strategies that will help you create a streamlined and profitable business. We chat to the best minds in business about their journey. It is so worth it and it can take time, but it's highly beneficial. How they started. It's going to be really hard. There'll be moments where you regret all of it, but there are such high moments as well and just constantly persevere. What they learned along the way. Quickly discovering what your boundaries are and putting them in place and sticking to them. And of course, we'll ask them for their secret sauce for creating a successful business. I would say to anyone who wants to start a business, have a purpose. Join us as we take a sneak peek behind the curtain, talk solutions for those business pain points, working smarter, not harder, mindset and the challenges of fitting it all in with the demands of today's busy lifestyle. If you're a business owner, side hustler or just starting your business journey, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, business coach and content creator, Justine McLean from Flossy Creative. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today. In case we haven't met, I'm Justine, a small business owner on a mission to uncover and share the secrets of creating and running a profitable, sustainable, and successful business. I've been in business for over 20 years now, and I get to use all that I've learned along the way to help other women in business reduce the overwhelm, gain visibility around their numbers, charge what they're worth, and make more money. It's about designing a life you love that fits into your definition of success. So if I can help you create the profitable business you deserve, please reach out. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Now, I am lucky enough to work with lots of creative business owners, particularly designers. And so after many special requests today by popular demand, we're diving into the world of design entrepreneurship with our guest, Rhiannon Lee, the visionary behind Oleander and Finch Interiors. Rhiannon brings a wealth of knowledge about interiors, but also understands the framework every new designer needs to have in place to make their business a success. It also happens that Rhiannon's program, a service tailored for brand new designers, is aptly named The Framework. Because let's be honest, Any design business, whether it's interiors or not, is not just about picking colors, creating designs and concepts and presenting them to clients. It's about so much more. So let's dive in. Rhiannon, welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Now, I work with a lot of designers and creatives, and I have had so many requests to do a podcast that talks specifically about the design business. And so obviously, I thought of you because you've got a fabulous framework for new designers. And I know that you were uh, nervous about following Amy Porterfield, but we have, we're building in a buffer, right? So it's all good. And I know there'll be lots of people looking forward to listening to this episode. Beautiful. Now, before we kick off, I would love it if you would uh, share a little bit about yourself, your business and uh, your business journey with everyone listening. Great. Well, my business has had a couple of iterations and edits along the way. So it doesn't really look the way that it did when I kicked off my business. And one thing I loved about the very beginning of my business is that I chose to be an e-designer by choice to fit around the flexibility. I had a two and a half year old and a six month old baby. 
And I felt that doing things virtually would save me that time and getting a babysitter and transportation to on-site and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that was pre-COVID. So I was really grateful for the systems and processes I had in place prior to the big worldwide hashtag pivot. And I actually benefited in a way where people then became quite aware of what a Zoom call was. And it wasn't me trying to explain how I could create an interior design solution virtually, people started to understand the software, understand I wasn't going to hologram into their house or what was this weird (laughs) thing that I'm doing as an e-designer. So it worked, you know, one of the very few benefits of that time of our lives collectively. And um, so I was doing e-design for quite a while and I definitely felt an influx of messages in my inbox asking for, you know, how are you doing this? How are you working with American clients? How have you cracked that market? How have you change like or are doing things more I guess in a in an innovative way that I'm not seeing everywhere it's not the same sort of Mm -hmm. stuff so lots of those questions were coming up and you know I got really busy (laughs) which is really great but at some point you're trading time for money and you bottleneck your own business and you think okay there's something's got to change here because I want to help I want to help new designers I want to continue to design and there is only one of me and I now have babies because I had another one yeah. along the way during my yep. business journey. And I thought, okay, I really need to find a better solution here and think about what lights me up, what I'm loving, which which call do I get off, a mentor call or a design call? And how do I feel after each and which, which direction do I want to take the business? Uh, and that is where the idea for the online course sort of evolved from just thinking, I want to be able to be that mentor and guide for so many new designers coming through, but all, you know, I guess all at once, because I can't possibly dial in with that many designers on a Mm. weekly basis. So the decision to step into the education and course creator space was not taken lightly because I, as any listeners who follow me would know, I haven't actually stepped away from the design side either. So I Mm -hmm. run a business in sort of dual capacity the design clients I run at a limited capacity, like much lower than I obviously was previously. But I like to keep my toe in the water because I find that I can relate a lot more to what's happening in my student's life and in my student's business when I am also still taking discovery calls and still going through the sales process. And that to me is a great fit. It actually means that I feel like I'm you know, right in the trenches with them, not something I did five years ago. And then I'm not modeling marketing strategies for an algorithm for a business in a industry that I'm no longer actually trying to actively market. I actually am finding that kind of dual focus very helpful inside of the framework as well. So yeah, yeah, that's sort of where we're at now. And I think it's, you know, I mean, it's always good to have a couple of income streams in any event. And the course that you were talking about, I mean, it's really more than a course. It's a community, it's a membership. And, you know, it's one where you're primarily working with designers who are just starting out on their business journey. So when you think about the people that you've worked with, you know, collectively, what are those foundational elements that they need to have in place? What are some of the things that you see that new designers are struggling with? I think one of the, you know, obviously there's there's modules like the setup and the checkbox of like business registration and all those sorts of things, but these are almost Googleable, Googleable elements. And yes. I feel like that stuff is not the core essence or heart of the framework. I actually think it's the big picture stuff like how do I price in the industry and how do I set up services that will maintain my interest? Like I don't want to have a business in four years time that I did 
whatever service I thought all the other interior designers were offering. And then all of a sudden I'm a color consultation. I'm doing color consultations day in and day out. And that's actually not where my heart is. And that's not, Mm -hmm. I don't want people to design a business and a success that doesn't directly reflect their lifestyle. It isn't taking other considerations into play and they're just doing what they think they need to do or what it looks like when they look around from a market research perspective, they think, oh, they're doing that. So an interior designer needs to offer that when that's not Mm -hmm. in fact the case. So I think some of the biggest challenges are around pricing, marketing, and the number one would be client acquisition. And actually, you know, okay, we get everything prepared. We're good. We fling the door open. Then what? You know, what happens when you open your business and you have led the horse to water and it will not drink. So what do we actually do? Which is for me, one of the major reasons why I do not have a like short course, a 12 week, eight week sessions, you know, you don't sort of come in and we don't do weekly topics and work through modules and then spit you out the other end. It is a 12 month support system. So actually that group, what we do take new students in at different times, but they just learn from the more established students and the more established students get to guide them along the way, or then they start having issues with real life clients because they're working now Mm -hmm. in their businesses and people who are just setting up their Instagram and their marketing and deciding if Pinterest is where the client is at, et cetera, they start learning about red flags to look for and discover you know, it. It's yeah. a real layered approach and I don't see it out there at all. I, I don't know of any other, any other course that is sort of come weekly for mentorship and friendship and stay as you grow. And then I get to watch the entire year, but then so do those newer just dialed in, there's people who started the framework today and it was sort of 50% today's intake and 50% callers from uh, scattered across previous intakes. So then they're yeah, all sort of at amazing. different levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. And I think that's it. You know, you sort of, um, you learn from what you see, you can become what you see. And so that's um, good. So I know that there are going to be people who are listening to this uh, and if I don't ask this question, I'm going to get emails about it. What's the answer to, okay, I've opened the doors. Where do I get my first client from? Where do you get your first client? The, the answer is different depending on your business model, I believe. Like I think it depends on what you're willing to do for that first client. So inside of the framework, there are webinars and things like bonus things that you can do if you want to employ some maybe reactive marketing strategies or understanding how to price under market and drive demand and have a limited time offer. But those things exist to help people practice how to pull that cord when they need it in their business. Mm-hmm. It is never an ongoing, you know, not to value your worth and to come in under market and, you know, I just want you to be the cheapest. And that's absolutely not the outcome. And so I would say when we're looking at how do you actually get the clients, it's deciding who are you speaking to, where are they, and then how do you adapt your language to capture their attention. Mm -hmm. So often it's almost always a marketing message issue. So where we have a lack of clients, okay, well, what is that perceived? Because a lot of self-worth stuff comes up where the, where the frameworkers will say, well, it's because I'm, you know, I'm new. Why would they hire me? They don't know. It's like, that's a projection. Actually, you're more qualified than an, you know, a designer who didn't get that certificate at design school, but has booked out diaries. There's mm-hmm. um, subjectivity to it. And actually you're holding yourself back a little bit. So we really work a little bit deeper and unpeel those layers to sort of say, is there a reason that we're blocking incoming clients? And then how do we 
find out more about who they are and how your service matches matches what they want and what they desire and then change the messaging so that it's very obvious that you're the right designer for them. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think the thing is there are so many different elements or focus areas when you make that decision to start a business. And I think as I you know, mentioned in the introduction, you know, it, it becomes much more than just creating designs and concepts and, and picking colors and, you know, getting those clients. So if I'm a new designer, I've just made the decision to open the doors. What's step one for me? Get help. Ask someone what they did at step one. Like, honestly, one of the most underrated things that you can do for your interior design business is understand two principles. One is active listening and the other is asking for help. Like actually knowing that it's not a reflection on your knowledge base or how professional you are or how much you know to to reach out to somebody who's you know, two years down the line, a bit further down the path and just say, hey, I'm just starting. I really admire what you're doing. I'd love, love to chat to you for 20 minutes. Or would you mind if I asked you one or two questions? I'm, you know, I'm really interested in getting into the same niche or I really love how you present yourself online or I see you showing up for your business all the time in stories. How do you do that? Ask the questions mm-hmm. and really don't feel like you need to be at a specific level before you can unlock or access other people's information. I have really learned that people are just people. They want to help mm-hmm. you. They innately want to help you. And so the worst thing you can do is feel intimidated to reach out, drop into someone's DMs. Can I shadow you for you? I get asked all the time if people can come here into the studio and just be with me for a day, see what a day looks like, whether it's a podcast interview and then designing with a client and then working with the frameworkers and what does that look like? And I think that's a great way to fast track your learning is to reach out to someone who you admire and actually that take that first step because the other part of that that plays into it is you start to take your business a little bit more seriously when you actively voice you telling other people you have a business, dropping into someone's DMs and say, I'd really love to help you because this is my business. A huge step that people I see hesitate with and will not take is the publication of the business that they want to start. That's telling wow, your friends yeah. and family that it exists. I cannot tell you how many girls that I've worked with that were nine months in and then they're like, okay, I'm ready to open up the Instagram and open up the website and actually tell people that I've taken an interior design course and I want to be an interior designer. Like whether that's shyness around the school moms, your personal connections and your, um, I guess, social circles, not wanting to say, I'm going to do this brave, creative, raw thing and I'm putting it online and I need your support. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because mindset and the way we think about ourselves and and the perception that we have of what other people are going to think of us is such a massive thing in business. And I think I really noticed this, you know, when I launched my Uh, course for the first time earlier this year, just how mindset was sort of getting in the way of people pricing, for example, or, you know, being happy to embrace the value that they were providing. And it's interesting you say that, that people are reluctant to sort of share that news with uh, the people that they care about, the people that they, you know, are friends with. And I think it just comes down to the perception. I, I know that when my husband and I opened our first retail stores, people said to us at the launch party, oh, well, most retailers don't make it past 12 months, certainly not past seven years. So enjoy it while it lasts. And I think it's about 
you know, I think you've said a couple of really poignant things. You know, one is about sort of just embracing your business and who cares what other people think. And the other one is really about creating that business that speaks to who you are and designing your design business so that you're doing things that you absolutely love. It's it's hugely brave starting an interior design business because people often forget that it's an art form and therefore when we share our art, whether it's creative writing, whether we're an actual artist, we're sensitive little souls. We put it out there and we think, oh, you know, and, and obviously not everyone has the same taste and they might not like the armchair or whatnot, but it's so personal when that feedback comes back, even though you didn't create the armchair, you didn't make it, you curated it, you pulled it all together in the concept of the look, but you are actually sharing art and people see it as a different type of trade or different type of career and they forget to validate the feelings that you have which are uh, nerves worry you've put something out on the internet and you know we all know not everybody is the kindest on the internet and sometimes you know things could come back Mm. that has not been my experience but I do know that in those early days those first few iterations of mood boards that went out it was incredibly difficult to sit and wait for whether it's validation or feedback of any kind. Yeah. And I think, you know, with putting together and sending out that design, there's also all those practical things that go with it. You know, there's the contract that needs to go out, that proposal that goes with the mood boards, you know, which needs to be very well structured so you don't end up with scope creep, for example. And then, of course, there is the pricing and the invoices. So, you know, making sure people pay you. For, for me, that's one that blows my mind. The number of designers I work with who kind of do most of the job for free and hopefully when it's done, they'll send an invoice, you know, but even then, maybe not. You know, in terms of what you have seen in your own business and what you're sharing with the frameworkers, what are your tips when it comes to those practical things that go with the creative side of the delivery to the client? Systems and processes are so important. And we live in a world now where we've got access to the most incredible automations. And if there's a question on the internet, there's an answer on the internet. So I really love the idea that, and I have done this with my business and then created the framework that way is that you can start to really step out the client process and then build something that automates that in the background and that prompts you to ask the right questions. It prompts you when it's time to invoice. It tells you it's time to send this email or you're in this part of the customer journey. So I do think that being able to yeah create those systems in the back end is it's a non-negotiable for your business. You kind of have to look at it and think, okay, how can I streamline this? And if there's any tasks that are repeatable, they need to be a process in your business. Mm-hmm. So if anything gets done basically more than once, we really do need to think, how do I create something that is just saved on the hard drive, easy to do, or easy to tick a box and implement so that the client is aware of where we're at in that process, but I'm not reinventing the wheel and typing out things that could be templated or or doing mm-hmm. any of that busy work. Yeah. And I think the other thing to be said for that is if you have those systems and processes in place and you make it a point of getting them in place from the get-go, it also helps you, you know, to or puts you in a position to be able to scale your business, to be able to bring in help yeah. when you need it, because obviously you'll do it you know, some training with your people, but it's all written down. Yeah, so it's a standard procedure in your head. It. Yeah, it's on it's on paper. And I think one of the other things that you mentioned earlier, which is worth talking about, is this sort of um 
the idea, I suppose, of, of organization and time management, because as you said, when you started your business, you had babies. And so you were working your business around your kids and, and you'd structured your business as an e-design business to fit in with your kids. And I know that there's a lot of you know business owners who are listening and going, yep, that's me. You know, likewise, I think these these business owners probably don't want to go back to a full-time job because, you know, the business is going to give them that flexibility. But to make sure their business doesn't become that 365-24-7 proposition, what tips have you got around balance and boundaries and, you know, preventing, I suppose, that burnout that could come with running a business? Absolutely. And it will come if you're not really aware of these, as you say, boundaries and systems that suit your business, you will absolutely burn out. And I think one thing that I have always taken very seriously is the the idea that every minute that I spend on a task inside of my business is a minute I take from my boys. Mm-hmm. So it better be worth it. So I will only do something in my business if it's almost like they have all the cinema admit tickets and we have to cash them, you know, think of a token or something and every token needs to be spent. And if I'm spending it in my business, I've taken it directly out of the token jar for my boys and I'm putting it into my business. So I want to know that 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 effort that I'm putting in is driving either a profit result, a passion result, you know, it's driving something that is a a value within my business and it's not busy work. I don't I don't have time because I could get down, like I still have a one-year-old child at home, so I could absolutely get down and drive cars with him. And that mm-hmm. is time that obviously is so precious to me and goes so fast versus I'm just going to you know, keep tweaking my website. Is this necessary? Will this help more people find the framework? Will this do anything for my business? Because if not, it's absolutely a procrastination tool and a bit of busy work. And as I said before about if you identify repeatable tasks, but if you can create a system that prompts you to ask all the right things or that is a one-stop shop, that sort of thing, then you are really going to find that you're no longer covered in paperwork, you know, that, that's where the overwhelm often comes from. It's a disorganization mm-hmm. reaction. That's how I feel. It's and, and it's not a reflection on anyone doing anything wrong. We when we know better, we do better. When we we only can work to the capacity of our working knowledge. So if we don't have standard operating procedures, if we don't have a client project database, if we don't know those things exist, then it's so fine to have all your post-its and manila folders and all the things going on, but you will absolutely be taking time tokens from your children just to sort out the paperwork, which to me is not worthwhile. So get organized from the Mm get-go. And I think- And don't wait for clients. Sorry, Justine, I was just going to say, you don't need to wait for clients. Like actually you will never be more, more, it's never a more appropriate time for you to actually set up systems than when you don't have clients. Because what the trap that you get into where you do get overwhelmed is you didn't set up systems when it was quiet. Mm-hmm. You set up branding and you set up websites and you set up professional photography and you went with all the fancy flary things that all interior designers love. And that's great. But you didn't think about the tools that you need to track budgets, to understand your finances, to look at your systems like email nurture sequences and all this sort of stuff. If you learn all of that through something like the framework and someone sort of teaches you how to do your back end systems, you get your back end in order. When your front end is super busy, you can focus on marketing and bringing more people in because you're not actually creating in the moment. So you're not actually going back and thinking, oh, 
quick, I need, like, how do I, what, like, what should I actually do to send this client their proposal? That is a process that is completely mapped out and that you understand before you have a client. Yeah. Amazing. Great advice. Uh- I've now thought of two questions here that I need to ask you. So the first one is uh, around that financial element of business because so many, you know, not just designers, interior designers, but so many creatives go into business to create and they don't think about things like, you know, salary and super and how am I going to pay for my business? And, you know, and as we know, the driver, one of the drivers for that is turnover. It's pricing. It's how you price products and services. And so I guess my question around that is, you know, can you shed some light on the advice that you would give to a new designer to help them determine their prices and what they should include in their offerings? Uh, The pricing methodology that I use and that I teach inside of the framework is called the middle plus a little. And the reason that I go with that is I get the girls to just do some market research and to understand industry standards, which we also talk about and teach inside in the back end there. And then we want to generally take them in in the middle of the road, but then encourage them to add a little in order to promote you know, self-confidence and knowing that you're just a little mm-hmm. bit above the mid-range pricing inside of the industry. It's definitely a difficult task to set pricing. And I'm very much a supporter of, you know, I know that this industry is predominantly uh, female-led, female-based, and therefore we do see big issues with especially creatives are not paying super and not, you know, taking this big gap out of your lifestyle, taking 10 years into your business and then thinking about paying yourself super. Just, um, you know, I'm sure there's much greater issues we can talk about with women and superannuation anyway, but, you know, making sure that if you get your pricing right at the start and there's an expectation that you're always paying that because these things are going to come up for you that if you put your head in the sand or that emu head in the sand thing from the very beginning, at some point, you are going to have to register for GST. You're going to have to understand your best statements. You are going to have to pay yourself super because you can't live the rest of your life with no super being Mm -hmm. contributed. And so why not do it at the beginning when you set up your pricing so that everything sort of shoots off automatically and B pays and other things. And then there is a, a commonality to... I guess, seeing everything as profit when you run a small business or when you first start that business. I see a lot of people be like, oh, I just made my first, you know, $495 and think that that's $495 to keep. Mm -hmm. And it's also in the messaging that you hear with a lot of people shouting about their results. And there's really not a lot of transparency in what was profit, what, you know, where were your expenses? What, what did you actually take home is quite different to what you, what your invoice recommended retail pricing is. Yes. Yeah, totally. Quite misunderstood. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And so I think you're right. I think it's about really focusing and understanding that. And then the other question that came to mind while you were talking earlier was around marketing, because it's something that you're very good at. And I know that, you know, design is a very visual medium. Instagram and Pinterest are great social platforms for that, for example. And you are very on, you know, social media, but, you know, it's more than that. It should be more than that. So what are some strategies that aspiring designers um, can use to sort of build that solid client base to build the followers? I really believe that like our emerging designers need to stop benchmarking and holding other people up on a pedestal when it comes to what they see. Like when you start out as an emerging designer, there is no expectation that you are Amber Lewis. 
There is mm-hmm. no expectation that you all of a sudden have, you know, a book release and you're going, you cannot go from zero to hero straight away. And I think what people, one of the biggest challenges people have around marketing is they immediately benchmark themselves or compare themselves to somebody who's five years, 10 years, 15 years into their marketing for Instagram or marketing for Pinterest or marketing on TikTok journey. And then you feel crap about it. Yeah. And they, as soon as you start to not feel great, you have no mojo, you can't show up, you compare, you get into comparisonitis or whatnot, and you're looking around too much and it's too much distraction. Yeah. And one thing I would really suggest is that when we're looking at marketing strategies with the girls, it's not mirroring my marketing strategy. I do not want an army of little Oleander and Finch people that show up every day on stories and show face to camera. <laughs> it's not sustainable. It's not real reality. Some of these people will never, ever show their face on camera. And I understand that. Like we have to work with what is the marketing strategy for an introverted interior designer who's just starting out and how do we get them in front of their client without having to show up and sell or show up and show their faces. So it's about understanding that consistency, for example, you hear this keywords, buzzwords, consistency in marketing. Okay, great. Well, consistency for you could be twice a month as long as it's the same twice a month. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to look like what you see. So I think that's a big trap that I just see people get stuck in is like it's too overwhelming when you compare with other people. So it's easier to do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. In case you fail at it. And that fear of failure is so entwined with social media and marketing. Yeah, 100%. And I think basically what you're saying in a nutshell is you you and people will come for you. And that's so key, no matter what sort of business that, you know, you're running. And when you think about, you know, your own business, what do you believe is the secret or secrets of running a successful business? I have a couple. I think the first secret would be to detach your ego from your business. Mm, I like that. Yeah. It's kind of a hard one to learn and it does take a little bit of time. But if you think back to the beginning, like perhaps you got the first three iterations of your logo and you ummed and you ahed and you shared it with a whole bunch of your family and friends if you're up to that point of sharing and you're like, which do you like? Do you like it in black? Do you like it in green? Oh, I like the floral one, blah, blah, blah. Actually, this is the entire thing is here to appeal to your ideal client. Mm, It's not for you. The name of your business isn't for you. The homepage of your website should be about how what you do solves the problem your client has, not actually about why you do what you do, what you love about it and why you're great at it. That's an ego thing. So what we want to do is just completely detach that. And it's kind of hard to learn, but it's instrumental and it is a massive like light bulb moment in your business when you are actively able to switch and think of it like writing and writing in first person and third person. Mm -hmm. You need to switch your business from first person to third person for it to succeed. In my opinion, I just think that when you're looking at how can I get better at marketing, how can I get better at attracting clients, how can I get better, how can I know my business better to price better when you know your ideal client and then your business is for them? Yes. It's going to take off. It's it's a much better model. It's absolutely going to help you with your sales. It's just sales are not icky when you are just holding the solution and you match it to the problem. I like that. And did you have a second secret you mentioned? I did. Yes. The other one is don't get distracted along the way. 
Shiny yeah. object syndrome is such a trap for entrepreneurs and also designers and people who, <laughs> you know, we talked about, you know, the visuals of everything get so pretty. I'm going to spend way too long on my lead magnet so that it's the best looking lead magnet out there. But we know what well, we, we teach that lead magnets, the actual quality of the content is important, but it is not your opiates. You know, it doesn't have to be this most amazing thing. It, you, you're only, you're exchanging a free document for an email address. So just keep it relative to that. And I think that the distraction stuff can be many things. It can be that comparison loop. It can be looking at what other people are doing. It can see someone else launch something that you think, oh, I need to have that in my business. All of that stuff keeps you small. If you Mm -hmm. stay in your lane, if you look, you know, straight ahead and think about what you want this business to be and how you're like, what are the tactic steps and tools you're going to do to actually eventuate the plan and and put it into play and get to the goal. That is the only place you should be looking. And the distraction piece, it also takes a little bit of time to learn, but it wastes a lot of time in the first two years. That's amazing. Brianna, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. What is the best way for listeners to connect with you to take advantage of the framework. I'm going to put some links in the show notes, by the way, but where can people reach out? Beautiful. Always on Instagram, come and see me at oleander underscore and underscore finch. Drop into my DMs. They're a safe, supportive space. I'm always talking to emerging designers and I love hearing about where they're at, where they're going and how we can get them there. Amazing. And last question before we go, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be? Your magic is just around the corner. So this would spark some intrigue if you were driving past this billboard, but I would hope that it would remind people to hold on when they're just about to give up because I really feel that every time you're about to set fire to your business or you're frustrated and you're in on the shower floor in tears, that is when you're on the precipice of breaking through the next glass ceiling. Like usually your magic is just around the corner when you're about to give up. So don't. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Rihanna. I love talking to you today. Yes, it was so good. So much fun. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Fantastic episode and chat with Rhiannon today from Oleander and Finch. Now, if you are an emerging designer or someone who is interested in the framework, check out the show notes. Rhiannon delivers an an incredible product and uh, I highly encourage you to have a look at it. Thanks for listening to the Secrets of Successful Business podcast. For more information on all things business, head to flossy.com.au and make sure you hit subscribe on the show so you don't miss another new episode. If you're enjoying the show, please give it a quick rating or review, share it on your socials or with friends who might enjoy it. Catch you next time.